You're listening to The Only Constant, a podcast about active hope. In today's conversation, we spoke with Anthony Kurza. Starting out as a student advisor, Anthony found a passion for improving the well-being of college students. From there, Anthony became a college life coach at Florida State University. In his role, he served as a source of support and guidance for students. We can incorporate conversations about resiliency into everything that we do. Something I came up with was something called Resilience Talk, which is an inserted curriculum that's prepackaged, that has activities, that has a, a lesson plan. We're talking about one hour to just talk about the role that resiliency has played in their life, the adversity that they've faced and overcome, and how they can take it into the future. I want them to take pride in that. Exploring topics from the importance of student services to building resilience and confronting toxic masculinity. Anthony offers insightful perspectives rooted in success and support for all. Hopefully, you find some hope today. Hello, everyone. Thank you for listening today. Very excited for today's episode. And thank you, my friend, for coming on. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm literally so honored. This is incredible. <laughs> I'm literally so honored. I'm, I, and I'm, I'm honored for the fact that you decided to come on here because it was totally your idea. Did not ask. And you were like, hey, do you mind? And I was like, for real? Are you serious? Yeah, 100%. <laughs> 100%. I just, I love what y'all are doing, right? Like, this is such an important conversation. So I just like, when you told me about it, I was like, this is such a great idea. I want to be a part of this, you know? Thanks, man. And yeah. I, before we get too far, let's start with your name and your pronouns. Absolutely. Uh, Anthony Kurza, uh, he, him, his. Okay, cool. And you are five years into working with higher education. Yes. Okay. Yeah, which is kind of wild. Yeah, I started working in April of 2018. I'm trying to like, do the math in my head. What's five years? Uh, 2018. <laughs> yeah, they don't pay me to do math. Uh, <laughs> 2018. Yeah, April of 2018. Okay. And you are a life coach. I am a life coach currently. Yeah. A so, college life coach. A college life coach more specifically. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> uh, no. So I, I started my career in enrollment management, which is like admissions, registrar, financial aid, that whole fun thing. Um, and then I uh, was working at my alma mater. I then went to FSU because I was following a girl. It worked out she's my wife now um, <laughs> and now and uh and then i had the opportunity to switch over into a college life coach and i've been there for for two years at this point nice yeah. well can you talk a little bit more about what a life college life coach does yeah 100 percent. so um specifically at florida state college life coaching is a free program that's offered to all of our students, any student can take part in college life coaching. We do invite specific populations of students. Uh, so a couple examples are out-of-state population are invited to the program. Um, uh, students that are living off campus their first year are invited to the program. Students mm. coming back from international programs. Um, so there's certain populations that the school has identified as being, um, you know, at a higher level of of uh, of. I want to say needing support, uh, but of mm -hmm. being able to provide support to them so that they feel comfortable at the university. Mm. Um, with that said, as I mentioned before, any student can take part in the program, right? If they're interested, they feel like they're going to get something out of it. Um, we get referrals tons of times from, uh, you know, our counseling center, from other offices of students that are like, this might be beneficial for me. Let's take a look and see what we got, mm -hmm. right? Um, with that said, what we do is uh, it's kind of different for each student, right? So uh, we kind of pride ourselves in taking a quote-unquote holistic approach to each student and saying that they're an individual coming in with their own issues, needs, problems, wants, desires, and we want to hear what those are. Um, because we found that within the university setting, when a student takes part in a, uh, you know, when they go to an administrator, when they go to an office, 
um, a lot of the time there's an agenda, right? You sit down with an advisor. While we take a holistic developmental approach to advising at FSU, um, still we're there to help them figure out what classes are next. Like there's gonna be space to talk about what's going on in their life. Um, but first and foremost, we gotta make sure that they have the classes that they need to be successful. Mm -hmm. um, so with, with uh, and, and that is kind of a similar approach uh, across the university, right? We wanna leave space for students to express themselves. Um, but for a lot of offices, there's gonna be some kind of agenda that they need to hit in order to make sure that they're doing their job. College life coaching, our job is to just let them be themselves, right? So they come into the space, and I always tell my students, when you walk into this space, this space is yours for the next 20 to 25 minutes. Whatever you need to say, it does not matter. You're not getting any judgment from me. I am here to just listen, you know? Um, so what that means is that, like, students kind of talk about whatever is important to them. We know that, like, Obviously, academics are important in a collegiate setting, right? Like that, that's obviously, you know. Let's hope so. <laughs> Let's hope so, right? Like it's, it's it's obviously important, but we also know that like when students are struggling academically, uh, most of the time, it's probably only fifty percent the academics. Normally, there are other things happening behind the scene mm -hmm. that also contribute to that um, to those academic struggles. Right. So when a student comes in, I say, "What's important to you right now?" They're going to tell me what's important to them. It might not be classes, right? It could be I'm fighting with my roommate, or I'm not sure if this degree is the right path for me, or I, you know, I am just really struggling in general and I just need to talk it out, mm -hmm. right? We leave that space open to them to say what's important to them. I've talked to students about fixing their cars, right? I've talked to students about <laughs> About, you know the fire alarm systems right like I've talked to students about <laughs> you know I, I've talked to students about how they're gonna get home for Thanksgiving right they're like how am I gonna get home how am I gonna figure this out and we sit and we talk through it to find ways that are are valuable to them um, so that's what we do we want to make sure that we have a space for our students that they can come and talk about what's important to them and address their needs as an individual to ensure that they find success at our university hmm. um, because we have a lot of we have a lot of uh, incredible resources at Florida State. We really do. I and mean, we really do. We have a lot of incredible resources. Um, half the problem is our students don't know what those resources are. Yep. So if we can, if we can, by addressing their individual needs, help point them in the right direction, help show them the amazing resources that we have, and then in turn, they utilize those resources, then that's success, right? We have, we have successfully worked with our students to help them find success at Florida State. Uh, so that is uh, amazing. The long, <laughs> that is truly the long-winded way of saying we're here to just support our students, right? That's it. That's what we're doing. But here. that's yeah. cool, though, because you, yeah. you stated how you aren't going into it with an agenda. It's right. truly the student's 100%. Whatever direction the student wants to take it. 100%. Know, which is really, and it must be interesting for you because you spend most of your time listening and now you're on yes. a podcast where all we want is for you to talk. It's very, <laughs> it's very strange, but also, weirdly enough, not difficult at all. <laughs> I'd love to ask a question real yeah. quick um, for people that are listening. What you're, And you kind of talked to us about this before we started recording, but maybe some people think what you're doing yours what you're doing sounds very much like therapy mm. however uh -huh. i think it's important to make the distinction between actual you yes. know therapy versus what you're doing yeah mm -hmm. first off we are not therapy Mm -hmm. We are not advisors. I want to make that very, very clear. <laughs> yes, a lot of what we're doing is opening space for students to talk about whatever's going on. And sometimes that uh, 
can really be mistaken for getting into the clinical realm of things. And I think the word there is really important, clinical, right? Mm. Um, we are not clinicians. We are just normal human beings that are coming to help support our students. We have clinical services, right? Our counseling and psychological services is a fantastic place. And we refer our students often to those services when they are needed, when we feel like the conversation is going into a realm that we're not able to continue that conversation. Right. Um, so it, it is really important that we have that distinction, right? Uh, that we are talking about how like, yes, this can be a very therapeutic thing for a student to take part in, but we are not therapy, right? It's a therapeutic, but it's not therapy. Mm. Um, but I think the key thing here is that, it, you know, if someone's listening and they're like, hey, I think I might want to check this out and see what it is, right? If you come in and you start talking about these things that might be bordering the the realms of of the clinical world um we're we're gonna let you know and not only are we gonna we're gonna let you know but we're also gonna help you get connected with someone who can help who can take it into that realm because awesome. we mm. don't want to blur those lines because you know we're all working together right and that's why we mm -hmm. have our counseling services so mm -hmm. right yeah that's a really great question um it, it's it is something that as college life coaches, we talk about a lot. And we talk about what that line looks like for us, you know, in terms of when it gets into the clinical realm mm -hmm. and how do we approach it when it gets there. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah, it's definitely cool. a conversation we have. Well, does this lead into the more broad term of student support services? For sure. I okay. mean, yeah, I mean, student support services um, are just, I mean, it's just vital to the success of an institution, right? When we say student support services, that can mean a lot of things. It um, is fairly broad. It's an incredibly broad term, yeah. 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 And I recognize that, yeah. but it is incredibly vital to what we're trying to do here, which is help support our students. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, College life coaching is in of itself a student support service, right? But you can also look at tutoring services as support services. You could look at counseling and psychological services as support services. So okay. we cast a broad net, but it's also vital to the not only the student's success, but then in turn the institution's success that there are student support services, that we have, uh, we have different types of support services that students can take part in because uh, we see and we can see and we have seen examples of when those support services are not where they could be and watching as those institutions struggle with retention, they struggle with academic performance, they struggle with graduation rates mm -hmm. um, because students are leaving because they don't feel supported. So mm -hmm. it's it's crucial. I mean, it's absolutely vital to the success of, of an institution. Well, we were talking right before, sorry, I okay. got one. Um, but right before we started recording, you were talking about uh, just to rephrase it, how important the incentive is for the workers, the people there helping the students. Yeah, yeah. And I'm sure the the retention rate for the workers is a yeah. problem in and of itself. Not a problem, but something that needs to be addressed in and of itself. Because if you want students to have a stable service to rely on, then you need stable workers who feel stable in the environment that they work in. I mean, you know? I mean, 100%. Uh, and that that really highlights a critical issue in higher education right now, which is retention, right? So um, there's an organization that specializes in um, like HR, specifically for colleges and universities. And every year they, they run a survey, right? And they run that survey out to professionals in the field. Um, so their most recent survey, I was actually doing a project on this, um, uh, their most recent survey highlighted some of these things, right? We're talking about like, you know, more than more than half of uh, the professionals that were surveyed 
don't feel supported in their workplace, right? Oh my gosh. Right? Two, uh, three quarters of them are working more than just 40 hours a week, right? So we're talking about like, we're talking about like these, 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 these little core concepts that all lead to one thing, which is of course burnout, right? Mm. Professionals feel burnout. Um, and, you know, in a lot of ways, there, there needs to be a, uh, there, there needs, there needs, someone needs to take a look at the pay structure for university professionals and address it at a, at a core level because, you know, there are people that work in the field, um, and it's not at FSU, but in other places that are working at the field that are making below, like, poverty-level wages. Mm. And that that can't be acceptable. We can't accept that, right? So It's an, institu- it's an institution of higher learning, higher right. education. It's an, it's an institution of higher education. It's crucial to our society that we have this. <laughs> so we need to we need to make sure that we are, of course, investing in our students. That is vital. Yeah. Of course, we want to invest in our students. But we also need to invest in our professionals. We got to make sure. And I think FSU has really taken steps up to help address that, mm-hmm. um, which has been so refreshing to see Good. because as an industry, um, that is something that has been severely lacking. Because if you have an office that has 75% turnover from year to year, Right? What is the what is the value of the services that you're providing them? If you have a new person that's stepping in every single year for one job in specific, and they have to learn that job and all the intricacies of that job, right? Like what is what then becomes the value of what they're providing their students? So there has to be that investment. You know, mm-hmm. there absolutely has to be investment in the workforce mm-hmm. in order to make the support services work. Yes. You need to treat the people doing those services. One hundred percent. 100%. Correctly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, I wanted to ask. <clears throat> um, so, obviously, you're talking about FSU. It has really good services. Seems like it's investing in those services. Yeah. Um, I'm curious to know. We live in an age right now where mental health is talked about in a way it's never been before. And it's accepted. You know, talking about mental health is accepted, which is great. Yeah. Um, I have to imagine... I don't know if you have any insight on this. Maybe even five years ago when you started, I feel like it hasn't always been that way, right? Yeah. How how um, how has the industry of student support services and maybe college life coaching specifically changed in the last I don't know ten years or so? Yeah. So uh, you know, speaking specifically about college life coaching, college life coaching has been um, available at FSU for over a decade at this point, 11 years maybe. Cool. Yeah, somewhere somewhere in there. I don't remember the exact amount of time, uh, but it's been here for a while. Um, and you look at the numbers of students that have participated, and of course that continually increases. And, and it also increases as we increase staff, right? We have 17 on staff um, mm. for you know the students that we're able to service, right? Um, as, as a whole, student support services, yeah. So there is definitely, um, there's been a lot of destigmatization of mental health, yes. which is great. Um, what we're also still seeing though is uh, what I call aversion to help seeking, right? Is aversion to help seeking behavior, mm. um, which is a which is an idea that you know while of course we're destigmatizing mental health, which is amazing, students that are coming in are still they're still not willing to take part in support services because there is still a stigma, right? We're we're working on we're working on getting rid of that, of course, but there is still a stigma, mm. um, and because of that. Uh, you know, 
I think that there is still space to grow. Now, it's come a long way. Like, like you mentioned, it has come a long way since I began working in higher education, since I was in college myself, right? Uh, when I was in college, you know, I did not take part in support services, um, partly because I didn't know about them, and the other part because the ones that I did know about, I didn't hear great things about, right? Yeah. Like, word of mouth is a huge thing, you know what yeah, I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a huge, huge thing, you know? Um, so, uh, it, since that point, it has absolutely grown, um, but there is still space for it to grow. We still need to, we still, like, while we destigmatize mental health and even talking about it, like with friends in a group like this, we can talk about mental health now and it not be this taboo thing. Um, we still need to work on saying it's okay to take part in these services, hmm. right? It's okay to take part in tutoring if you're struggling in a class. You don't have to just like push through it and fight through it. Like you can, you can ask for help because we have it. It's free for you to use, you know? Mm. The same thing with mental health services. The same thing with college life coaching, right? Like it's okay for you to come to this office and talk about whatever you want to talk about, you know, and get the help that you feel like you need or what's important to you. Like we can we can have those conversations and it not be a big deal, hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah, and as far as the whole destigmatization goes, I mean, I was – someone who faced that stigma. When I was a freshman in high school, I was originally a wrestler. I don't know if you know this. I did. Um, wow. Yeah. <laughs> it was a fun time. Um, <laughs> but I had to I had to do math tutoring because I just was not, like, math is, does not come naturally to me. I really have to work at it. So I had to go to tutoring and then wrestling practice right after. I was innately late to wrestling practice because math tutoring was right after school, so yeah. it was practice. So I'd go to math tutoring to support that one area of my life go to practice everybody's shitting on me because i'm late for practice right right it's, so that right. whole stigma i totally understand because my personal experience with it i mean that's huge if the people around you aren't supporting what you are investing your time into there's a lot less incentive to do so and i think this is a perfect segue into building resilience for 100%. students you know getting yeah. to college because even that personal experience for me in high school i had three more years after that of high school to like quote unquote, figure myself out, sure. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean? Yeah, and figure 100%. out what I like, get to college, yeah. culture shock, right? Go ahead. It's very, very, very different, right? So let's talk about resiliency, right? Let's yeah. have that conversation. So clearly define what resiliency is, right? For all the listeners, uh, resiliency is just a positive adaptation to adversity, right? So when you're faced with any kind of adversity, and adversity is a broad term that can mean a lot of different things to a lot of different people. When you are faced with adversity, if you adapt to that situation in a positive way, that's what we call building resiliency. Okay. Uh, so yeah, right? So clearly define what that term is. Now let me share some stuff with you, right? So uh, the uh, American College Health Association, man, I hope that's right. Uh, the American <laughs> College Health Association uh, uh, runs a survey each year, right? It's the National College Health uh, Assessment, where they survey students within colleges and universities across the country, and it's tens of thousands of students. Um, they came out with their executive summary for 2022. In 2022, they identified the top impediments to student success from the students themselves. They asked the students, what is stopping you from being successful? The top four, procrastination, stress, anxiety, depression. Mm. Right? Yeah. And we're not talking about small numbers here, right? We talk about anxiety and depression are in the 20th to 30th percentile, right? Of respondents who said that that was an impediment to their success, right? Mm -hmm. We talk about procrastination, 49%. Dang. 
49%. And I think that that number's low, to be honest with you. <laughs> I think that that number is incredibly yeah. <laughs> low. But I, I won't talk about anxiety, depression, because like we talk about, that gets into the clinical realm of things, right? Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. Don't, I don't want to get into the clinical realm of stuff because I'm not a clinician. Um, but we'll talk about stress and procrastination and stress and an abundance of stress. We all know that there is a healthy amount of stress, right? A, uh, an amount of stress that allows us to find productivity, that allows us to push forward, to get out of our comfort zone. There is a healthy amount of stress that helps us move forward. We're talking about a, an abundance of stress when stress becomes a negative factor. Procrastination and stress are negative adaptations to adversity, right? Hmm. Okay. Think about it. Yeah, think about no, that for I, a second. They I are, totally feel that. Yeah, they are negative adaptations to adversity. When we're uh, we look at um, hmm. uh, we look at procrastination, right? Procrastination in and of itself is a negative coping skill to stress, right? When we're faced with we've got you know we got to write four papers and we got to read thirty chapters in a book or you know whatever it might be, right? You know it's much easier for us to cope with that by just not doing it. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's yeah. much oh, it's yeah. much easier. And we still like you know I still deal with procrastination as a full fledged adult, right? Outside mm -hmm. of the classroom, you know, like you know when my wife is like, hey, we need to clean out the dryer vent. I'm like, cool, and then I don't do it. You know, so <laughs> you know what I mean? So like procrastination is a very real thing. It is a negative coping skill, right? It is a negative adaptation <laughs> to any type of adversity, mm. right? So okay. this clearly highlights a gap within our students. They're coming in with uh, with resiliency, right? They're coming out of the pandemic where they missed crucial aspects of their high school experience or for some of our students, their middle school experience, right? They're missing crucial aspect, aspects of their development. So they're coming in with the adversity having gone through that. Is that the resiliency that's gonna help them overcome the adversity of college because mm. college is a completely different animal and you know mm -hmm. this right yep. like yeah. i mean think back think back on your college experience i mean did you feel like you were properly prepared going in having having had a full high school experience did you feel like you were fully prepared for what college was maybe no. just slightly maybe just slightly at exactly <laughs> exactly just slightly at best i was not prepared at all I was, <laughs> it was just like, I, I was not i was not even close to prepared for the experience that i had in college and it shows through the experiences that i had and the adversity that i faced while i was there right so from from a professional standpoint from a higher ed professional standpoint we have to flip that conversation and that conversation has to come from from everywhere we got to do a full court press in building our resilience and our, our students resiliency because it has a direct impact on their success and of course then has a direct impact on the institution's success um and then their careers in the future and therefore our economy yes exactly exactly <laughs> so on and so forth there exactly. are first our society and then our planet and our universe <laughs> but like for real though universe, i mean it's crazy yeah. we need to support each other we, right we do we could yeah. support each other right but like we don't want the universe to explode. <laughs> it's the, it's the, well, we, we certainly don't want the universe to explode. Ah. <laughs> but it's a ripple effect, right? Because if you're not properly doing resilience building in college, they're not getting that type of resilience building out in the real world, that structured resilience building, right? They're, it's trial by fire. It's trial by fire. Yet another thing that I experienced, I got out of college and it was trial by fire and I was just figuring it out along the way. And I'm still here, thank God, you know, but like that, you know, people struggle with that. So we have to like, we have the opportunity in understanding and knowing the problem and seeing the problem. We then have not only the opportunity, but the responsibility to take the next step and work to educate our students on how to build their resiliency. Because mm. 
unless they seek it out themselves, it's not going to happen until they're faced with adversity. So, so true. what does that look like? You know, briefly, what yeah. does it look like with when you're trying to build a student's resiliency? Yeah. Especially because, yeah, you're seeing kids that are coming out of COVID. Right. Like I was in college when COVID happened. So I missed out on my senior year which was like upsetting in many ways but also like i kind of had a pretty full college experience up to that point i would say but yeah some of these kids just like 100 high school is so important i can't imagine missing my junior and senior year in in high school just crucial parts of their experience just gone just gone yeah yeah you know so when we talk about building resiliency um there are a lot of ways to do it. We can focus on six key areas. Uh, so we have like flexibility. That's obviously important. Uh, character building, uh, coping skills, uh, connection. The two that I find really interesting are sense of belonging and sense of control, right? So when we're faced with adversity, for me, I know what the first two things to go are. It's my sense of belonging and my sense of control. I feel alone in my adversity right? I feel alone in the struggle that I'm facing. And I feel like I have no control over the situation. So when I'm faced with that challenge, those are the first two things. So in my mind, those are the first two things that we should focus on, right? How do we how do we bring back that conversation? How do we build that sense of uh, sense of control and that sense of belonging? Um, So there's a lot of different ways to do it. Um, In terms of higher education, how we program for that, we can do it, we can incorporate conversations about resiliency in to everything that we do, right? So um, something I came up with was something called Resilience Talk, which is an inserted curriculum that's prepackaged, that has a, a, a li- that has activities, that has a, a lesson plan that you can take, a, a, a faculty member, an instructor, a student leader, they can take this prepackaged curriculum and insert it into any conversation, right? They can insert it into a class period, they can insert it into a group meeting. And it follows a, a very simple basic format of like, first, we're going to talk about what is resiliency, clearly define our terms, right? What is resiliency? And how do we go about building it? Then we get buy in, right? Because it's a conversation based model. So we want to get buy in from our other student from the students in that group to say, like, what does resiliency mean to you so that they become invested in the conversation. Then there's an activity which focuses on self reflection, right? And saying, like, I'm going to reflect on the role that resiliency has played in my life to this point, then there's processing. We take that activity and we say, what did we learn? We do that together as a group because while, of course, administration, faculty, that type of um, influence on a student is is incredible and it is really powerful. What we found through research is that an equal in some cases, more powerful motivator is peer motivation, right? To change, right? So if you're in a group with your peers and we're all talking about resiliency and you're seeing as your peers are uh, are navigating these conversations, not only are you building a sense of, of connection with them, a sense of belonging, but you're also utilizing students and their resiliency and their story to help uh, motivate other students to build on it. Mm. Um, so, uh, and then of course we end that model with a, uh, with the goal setting and I'm very like solution focused person. So of course I added goal setting at the end, but it's basically an opportunity for students to share one small step that they're going to take to either build the resiliency or maintain the resiliency. Because I want to make sure that, you know, a student that goes through this module can take something away from it. You know, I want them to be able to take something away, something tangible. And also I want them to take pride in the work that they did, right? We're talking about an hour out of, you know, the amount of time that they spend in classes doing all this stuff, one hour to just talk about 
the role that resiliency has played in their life, the adversity that they've faced and overcome, and how they can take it into the future. I want them to take pride in that because that's mm. a hard conversation to have. So, mm. um, yeah. so that's just one example. There are a million ways that we can build resiliency, but um, we have to start by just talking about it. You yeah. know, just talking, just like saying the word and saying that this is a thing that exists. You know, mm -hmm. that's awesome. Well, I want to use it. I think this is a great segue, um, in my opinion, uh, <laughs> to addressing toxic masculinity. Because yeah. I feel like, let's say you have a group of students in that situation. It's the last thing we'll cover for this first half. Yeah. Um, but when you have a group of students in that situation navigating these issues, trying to build resilience together, resiliency together. And then let's say you've got, just because I said toxic masculinity, we'll say you've got that one guy in the group yeah. that's just like, bro, come on. You don't, yeah. well, you don't need this, bro. Like. Immediately, it immediately kills the vibe. It immediately, and you're just immediate. like, oh, no, you're right. Pff, I don't need this. Oh, my gosh. Right. Yeah, and it's 100%. like not necessarily – because when I, when I read that, when I read your passion for addressing toxic masculinity, my mind immediately went to how a lot of times it's sometimes not – or a lot of times it's not purposeful. Right. It's just like the way that the person was raised almost. Sometimes right. it is purposeful. Sometimes you can clear yeah. that there's like some sort of uh, – agenda behind it to a degree I, I think that there gets to be a point where it becomes purposeful yes right? like absolutely. i think and that's different for everybody but there is a point where the the ideas and the behaviors that are perpetuated by the individual are incredibly conscious mm -hmm. but before that yeah they're pretty much they're unconscious behaviors based on learned behaviors that were picked up by watching other people exhibit mm. those things okay 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 you know what i'm saying but like we can we can tie this back to the aversion to help seeking, right? A majority of yeah. um, a majority of students that have that aversion to help seeking are those that identify as men, right? Um, we talk about how you did you did wrestling in high school, right? And mm -hmm. you caught shit for you know going and using those tutoring services. <laughs> yeah. That's a perpetuation of toxic masculinity, yeah. right? Now, toxic masculinity is like is the quote unquote the pop term, right? Yeah, we yeah. can we can dive further into that uh, to a, a concept called hegemonic masculinity, um, mm -hmm. which was developed in the mid 80s by a sociologist from Australia named Connell. Uh, Connell came up with this idea called the gender order theory, which basically states that um, uh, in, in any given society, there is a uh, through forced domination, there is a there is a dominant archetype of person. And that and that archetype then determines what is normal. Does that make sense? Yeah, I know. What you're, I yeah, what you're you know saying. what I'm saying, right? And again, I can't stress this enough. This is forced domination, right? This isn't. This isn't like. Uh, I'm not saying this was willfully happened. This is forced domination. They yeah. determine what is normal, right? So, yeah. in our society, right? I want you to think about what our society deems as the ideal man, mm -hmm. right? You have a picture in your mind of a man who can survive in the wilderness. <laughs> Has a big old beard. He definitely yeah. has a beard. Definitely <laughs> has a beard. <laughs> definitely like jacked when he was young. He has a trade. He's got. A, he knows how to knows build how to something. Things. A lot of money. Maybe a little bit of like a lone wolf mentality, right? Like, yeah, oh, I can do this, right? So he listens this... to a. Uh, this will be the day that I die. <laughs> what <laughs> American Pie? Yeah. Yeah. That song. Except sung by Johnny Cash. <laughs> yeah, except, yeah, except sung by Johnny Cash. Yeah. Well, so that's it, right? Like, you have an idea of what the uh, quote unquote ideal type of man is right mm -hmm. that idea comes from a place of hegemonic masculinity right where uh through forced domination that's what we learned was the dominant and and because we know what the dominant male archetype is again i'm putting these all in quotes yeah, yeah. i can't stress that enough right because 
we'll get into that. Thank you for stressing it. <laughs> <laughs> really for real. stress that. Like I'm putting these in quotes because we know what the quote unquote uh, dominant male archetype is. We know what subdominant is, and then of course we know what implied feminine is, mm. right? So we have an idea of of what these concepts are, and these are deeply rooted in our society, right? Mm -hmm. So when when we're talking about working with students. We're talking about addressing something that has been so deeply rooted in what we're doing in, in the society that we live in. Um, and it isn't something that is like you are a, you are toxic masculine or you are not toxic masculine, right? It's not like you are one or the other. We're talking about you can be both at the same time. You can have the idea of 100%. like, I am not a toxic man, right? I, I don't consider myself, you know, uh, to be a toxic man, but I also know that there are things that I do that are that are learned through our society and that also perpetuate toxic masculinity. Hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. um, so when we talk about aversion to help seeking, right, that is that is a clear area, right? You're not supposed to ask for help, right? You're not supposed to ask uh, for assistance in doing your work. You're not supposed to you're not supposed to have mental health problems. You're a man. You're not supposed to have them. Mm. Right. Again, putting quotations on all of this, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> because it's not—it's not what I believe, but um, it's what our society ha has kind of instilled in us, and we are putting the work in to kind of flip that message on its head, which I'm very, very happy about. But the work's not done. Um, I do, and I also just want to say I feel like, as a person in our society, it is sort of happening slowly. Yeah, like 100, and like. And I'll let you keep saying what you were no, saying, sure, but I just yeah. wanted to say, like, I like that you said you can be both at the same time because I've definitely, A, in my own personal journey, made steps toward being a little bit more like, you know, just accepting of um, mental health and blah, blah, blah. And like right. some of that comes from family and personal experience. But also I acknowledge the fact that there are certain things that are just innately within me because right. of society when I think about... I just, yeah, I can, I can identify certain aspects 100%. of being a man that are like, man, I totally just made that assumption because I'm a guy. 100%. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 100%. Mm -hmm. And I think it is changing though. I think it's slow. The, the fact that we're self-aware of it. Right. And the fact that you, you have that internal monologue with yourself and saying, oh, that thought, that thought right there was because of what I learned about being, what it meant to be a man. Yeah. That's crucial. If we can't have that internal check. Right, we can get the we can get those external checks from other people to say, hey, that's not cool, that's not right, but we can't necessarily rely on that, right? It really takes someone that's willing to put themselves out there and address through confrontation what is being said or what is being uh, perpetuated. Mm -hmm. yeah. But if we can have that internal monologue ourselves, we can then take steps to address it, right? Mm -hmm. And that's what I was talking about when it becomes uh, subconscious to conscious, right? When we can have that internal monologue, and there are people that have that internal monologue that could then consciously make the decision through their ideals, through their behaviors, to perpetuate toxic masculinity. E, that's when it becomes purposeful. That's yeah. when it becomes purposeful. Yeah, yeah. And that's when it becomes a different conversation. Mm -hmm. You know, so if I'm sitting down and I'm talking with a student and they're perpetuating toxic masculinity, right? If they're saying something that isn't correct or uh, that that doesn't that doesn't help pushing our society forward it's a little maybe harmful it's harmful ways. exactly it's harmful if they're if they're addressing that and we sit and we talk about it and i say you know where is that coming from right I, I we uh i gave a couple presentations about this at a couple different conferences and we put examples up we talked to our other fellow college life coaches about experiences that they had dealing with toxic masculinity and we use those examples um through like filming them uh through filming ourselves playing students to talk about it you know 
Hmm. Um, so uh, one of them was that a student was struggling in class and the student was like, I'm not going to go to tutoring services. I'm just going to like man up and just deal with it and just do it. Mm -hmm. You know? So then the next question has to be, okay, I hear what you're saying. And you know, I'm, we want to make sure we're not invalidating their feelings, but where is that coming from? Where is that idea coming from that they, that you can't seek out services. You can't ask for help. Yeah. You know? Um, so if we're brave, if we are brave enough to ask that question, then we can start making we can start making uh, improvements, right? We can start addressing it on a very small lens. There are societal things that are going to be incredibly hard, and it's going to take a lot of um, social pressure to change and move. And I think it can happen, but I can't necessarily by myself make those societal changes. Yeah. So what I can do on a very micro level is just individually to individually address it with students and maybe they then they can start the movement they can push forward and they can do stuff right um so it's something to think about it's something that we have to address it's something that we have to think about um but it's prevalent it's there and it has a lasting effect on the success of our students mm -hmm. yeah no it's just great that like i like that you said we can't change everything on the macro level but if you can just help a student individually kind of overcome some of those yeah. stigmas and barriers. And b yeah, before we end, I just want to ask, like, have you done that? Have you seen that happen, I guess? I have. I have seen that happen, and I've had, had that conversation. And um, it doesn't always happen in the context of college life coaching. It doesn't always happen in mm. the context of talking with somebody um, as a student professional kind of thing. I've had that conversation with my friends. I've had that conversation with, um, you know, uh, uh, family members. I've had that conversation with people before. Um, and to be honest, it's a little bit more, no surprise, it's a little bit more comfortable having that conversation with a friend or having that conversation right. with a family member than it is with a student. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, and, and I think if you um, ask our college life coaches, um, especially the ones that I've worked with on these projects about toxic masculinity, they would say the same thing, that they have had to address it in the past because they have heard those um, uh, those negative ideas and behaviors that are surrounding it. So, mm. yeah, yeah, um, it's it is it is small incremental steps, um, but those small incremental steps are vital to taking the big steps. Mm -hmm. Our guest, uh, season four, episode ten with Casey Copeland. She said, yeah. "Focus on your sphere of influence to eventually affect your sphere of concern." Hundred percent. And I feel like that was yeah. I feel like you're saying that's perfect. that. Yeah, yeah. That's perfect. That's, yeah. And I, I really like how you acknowledge that it's just like, it's not a problem you can just run up and tackle. Yeah, it's not. It's not. It's not, it's not yeah. a problem that you can just snap your finger and have it be done, you know? Yeah. yeah. Um, but like I said, and like you said, and like we've all said, right? If we can at the very least take that first step, then we can at least open the door to the conversation. So definitely. Cool. Okay. Awesome. We'll be right back. Bye. We'd like to take a second to shout out our monthly patrons. Thank you to Aaron B., Christina S., Corbin G., Dan W., Mimi S., Kareem A., and Luciano B. for their continuous support of the podcast. Everything we do on this show wouldn't be possible without the generous support of listeners like you. Consider joining us on Patreon, where for just a dollar a month, you can support the podcast and help us even more in the conversation about active hope. Now, back to the episode. 
Hello, everyone, and we are back with the second half. Thank you for listening so far, and I want to open up the second half with your love for tabletop role-playing games. Let's talk about it. <laughs> totally different say, side of Anthony. <laughs> I was just saying before we got back, you got professional Anthony, and now you have fun Anthony. <laughs> yes, tabletop role-playing, TTRPG. It is a uh, passion of mine. It is something that has developed seemingly out of nowhere um, because I didn't start playing tabletop role-playing games until... 2018 um so i'm fairly quote unquote new to the scene right um but when we say tabletop role-playing games that is what most people uh what most people will know is like dungeons and dragons right yeah Uh, you know that's very much in the in our society now a lot of like the actual plays that you see on the internet those are all, all really a lot of them are Dungeons and Dragons based. Um, you know, we've got the movie that just came out. We've yes. got shows on Amazon Prime. Yeah. Um, so it is it is out there. It is in the space. People know about it. Um, but Dungeons and Dragons is not the only TTRPG. Mm-hmm. There are a million more. But yeah, I it is I don't even know where to begin. I really don't even know where to <laughs> well, begin. Well, let's start let's start with your love for being a dungeon master. Yeah, 100%. I Even so, though D&D is not the only RPG. No, TTRPG. And I and I haven't and I haven't run like I've run a lot of Dungeons and Dragons games, but I've also run other systems as well. Okay, cool. Have you run yeah. Pathfinder? I haven't run Pathfinder. Okay. Um that is uh that's on my list. I have some of like one shot modules that you can run that are in the Pathfinder world. Um but I've run Call of Cthulhu, which is a horror based TTRPG oh, yeah, system. That seems cool. That's based out of the works of HP Lovecraft. Um, you know, uh there are uh, Kids on Bikes, which is a uh an, a TTRPG module that focuses on like nineteen eighties small town suburbia like almost like stranger things Dude, style that seems awesome. yeah yeah right it's it's so cool it's so cool so i did not dm my first game until 2021 maybe 2022 right so oh. it's yeah i started i started late i had been doing so much like creation and stuff before that um but i didn't run my first game because half the challenge is just finding people to play the game oh, that, <laughs> yeah. so, it's so hard just man. trying to find people to I play hate it when game. a campaign stops oh man it's, it's hard it's going so hard and then all of a yeah. sudden it's just oh, oh this one day doesn't work out every other day after that doesn't 100%. work out so <laughs> to, addre- to address that what i do as a dungeon master is all the stories that i tell fall within a three to four session limit i don't go over four sessions because scheduling is a nightmare yeah and i've i've played in games where it was like it was a you know uh, i i played in when i first moved down to tallahassee i played in a game and we played for like a year we met every monday and we played wow right it was one of those continuous campaigns that eventually because of schedules it just kind of fizzled out you know which is which is totally understandable that happens right when you're talking about like a, a weekly commitment that's that's a challenge from a scheduling point of view. Yeah. So I saw that and I had I had uh, encountered that in a couple different ways in other games. So I said, as a dungeon master, I want to tell these stories. How do I want to tell them? Mm-hmm. Uh, and I want to tell them in short form. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah. Um, with that said, all of my stories, though they are short form, uh, 
typically fit in the same world and actually contribute to an overall story. We'll talk about that. Dude, we'll talk about that in a minute. Oh my um, gosh. You know, so like it all contributes to an overarching story, and maybe I'm the only one that ever recognizes that or realizes that, but it's still really cool to me. Um, but I wanted to do I wanted to do short short form stuff because I felt like that was the most digestible, especially for new players. That was the most digestible, um, and uh, you could let them have like their you know their superhero moment right there that 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 idea of like oh i'm the main character in the story you can have you can let them have that main yes. character moment yes absolutely know? um so, so i I've, I've really really enjoyed it um again so much of like my dming ties into the creation of the things that i make um that i can't stop like i just can't stop i can't <laughs> stop creating and i really i can't stop dming like i want to just keep doing it in different ways and i've looked at game shops in town of like how can i how can i how can I bring this content into like game shops and run games there? Oh, that'd you be know? so cool. Um, so I'm, that's something that I'm working on kind of, again, it's like a hobby, you know, it's like a hobby. Of Dude, mine. if you do that, let me know. Cause I, I want to actually play some games in the 100%, community. 100%. <laughs> that's what I'm looking for. Right. Like, and, and I mean, tabletop role playing is like the emphasis of, of, community building right it really is you have this opportunity even if it's just your friends getting together and playing you have this opportunity to tell a story together to bring people together to have fun even if it's just like you know once a month for four hours you just sit and you know you drink mountain dew and eat doritos and and slay some dragons like yes. that's time that you get to just spend with your friends having fun goofing around yeah and then if you go into like a game store or you go to like you know some of these uh community style uh uh ttrpg games that's an opportunity for you to meet people yeah. uh -huh. meet people in an environment where everyone is coming in a little bit fresh maybe not knowing a whole lot of people and you don't quote unquote have to be yourself right you don't have to like go there and be like oh i have to put my best person out there because like that's what that's what people are seeing no you're playing a game and you're playing a character so you can put your character out there and through your character showcase your personality mm. uh, which is incredible and it always happens too every time we've played with our ted and like whenever ted and i have played with our friend group um everybody's personalities always bleed yes. into the characters that they're playing. Always, 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 always. And this kind of makes me think about how, I mean, you touched on it already. It's like <laughs> each, if you have like a three to four session um, arc, right, with yeah. the specific group, but it contributes to a larger story. 100%. This segues perfectly into world building. Yeah. You have to have an entirely different world in your head 100%. and ready to pull from at all times. Because Absolutely. as a DM, <laughs> Ted's getting excited. <laughs> as a DM, it's like you have to be ready for whatever that yeah. player chooses to do next. 100%. Dude, I've D <laughs> so I've DM'd a few times yeah. and... We just started doing a D&D &D thing. It, did, it kind of fizzled out, unfortunately. But Not kind I, of, it fizzled. It did fizzle out. <laughs> it completely died. Yeah, 100%, 100%. But I made a whole world for it. I yeah. made like, and I hadn't done that before. Like really I did. I played Dude, in other, awesome. um, I played in campaigns where people had made their own yeah. factions and, and regions and stuff. And I thought that was cool. And so I was like, I want to make my own. And it's based off of um, things that I've, made in my own head yeah. previously like yeah. i had this world that i named for like a comic i wrote yeah. and then i was like oh i should use that and then i blah 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 so um but i also wanted to just say like we played a star wars rpg one yeah and that was a really interesting experience because i think you'll appreciate this because star wars technically D D has a world that's yes. already been created right 
but very often you just make your own version 100%. taking yeah. pulling things from yes. the resource 100%. books but star wars is unique in the fact that it already has this established universe it already That's has the thing. rules and the factions and you know what you can make your own liberties we did that when we played ours like i made up like you know a syndicate faction that didn't yeah. actually exist but for the purposes of the game it was it worked yeah however what's so interesting is even when i'm building a syndicate in yeah. the star wars rpg there are still pre-established like tropes and rules that 100%. i understand that syndicate will probably follow yeah. to some degree and the only reason i'm saying this is because um yeah it was it's just interesting to like have to make your own world versus use um source material 100%. and both can create such amazing oh yeah things you can still tell absolutely incredible stories with prefab stuff right we talk about star wars even in dungeons and dragons call cthulhu like they all have their they all have their worlds they have their realms they have their gods their demons their monsters they have everything right um so you can still tell an incredible story especially someone who very clearly you know, like knows y'all know your stuff about Star Wars. Oh, dude! You know? <laughs> like if it what was just this, that. By the way, you, that was so interesting playing with. Like we had a everybody that we played with liked Star Wars yeah. to some degree, but we had such a mix of knowledge, and it's like me and Caleb could literally just like. <laughs> We could get so lost in that world 100%. in the details. Yeah. But you can't do that with everybody. Because you know, and yeah. you also need to keep moving the story. Yeah. But, but the beauty of <laughs> tabletop role playing is that you can bring them in, right? Yes. So you have this wealth of knowledge, right? Yes. About about the Star Wars universe, which is deep, right? Like we could get <laughs> we could get deep into the we could get deep into the lore, you know? But the beauty of it is that like even a person coming to the table that doesn't have experience in that universe, you have an opportunity to bring them into areas that yeah. they would have never even thought oh, were yeah. possible, you know? Mm -hmm. How amazing is that? Right. And now you take that concept, right, with if you can do that with a prefab world, right, already ready, set, you've got maps and all that stuff, and then you bring it into building your own world, man, you have an insane opportunity. Oh, yeah. You have an incredible, incredible opportunity. So I, uh, like I said, all the games that I run kind of fall within, um, uh, kind of fall within the same world. Uh, the world is called Eterna. Uh, it is a, uh, a little bit of a background. So the world was um, was ripped from another planet. There was a god that was like, which they called the uh, the Taker, who saw this part of this world and thought it was so beautiful that he ripped it from the world um, and wrapped it around a titan to sustain it. Um, so, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah. Yeah, weirdly enough, I came up with that. I was like... <laughs> That's wow, this is cool. <laughs> oh my God. I was like, I was like writing it down. I was like, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> you know, so, um, and with that comes, you know, the opportunity to develop history. So I came up with 1600 years of history, um, hitting yeah. all like the major marks, but it all started from the first game that I ran. I just like, I needed a town. I just needed a town <laughs> to run the story. So oh, I came up with yeah. this town and I was like, cool, this is awesome. And then I was like, huh, I wonder what the neighboring towns would be. So then I came up with two neighboring cities. It was it was a transit, I called it a transitory town because it was a town that sat between two cities and the only path between those two cities was going through this town, Yeah. right? So then I was like, okay, I need these cities. It's like an old west vibe. Yeah, exactly. And I'm like, okay, so then this city is like near the coast and this one's a little bit more inland. Why is this one near the coast? So then I was like, okay, so let me draw. <laughs> so I drew like I drew like a mountain range, and then I was like, let me draw some rivers because you need rivers. And then of course, and then all of a sudden, I had an entire like quadrant of this map 
already drawn out and i was like well i should just keep going you know what i mean <laughs> you know so uh the world building process comes from such a honestly for me it just came out of necessity so i don't i don't know did it come from necessity from you so well when i built so the world i made is called vilmora oh. and when i made it um by the way for everyone who can't watch what Ted just did, he twinkled his fingers <laughs> when he said Vilmora. Yeah, because it's <laughs> magical, dude. That's it's the magical. Only, yes. And you know what? Just to, give, just to give you the background on my world, I haven't... It's a little ambiguous yeah. within the universe if this is the truth, but there's a tale that's told about Vilmora that the sky is the eye of a giant named Ultar, a cosmic giant named Ultar. So that's, that's just sick. his eye and he's always watching. Yeah. Um, and so is that the truth or not? We don't know. And we won't ever know because that campaign died. So, um, <laughs> but no, we'll that, make another story. I was going to say world. with that campaign dead opportunity. Another story you know, right? comes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Honestly, maybe I could tell the story of that war that, uh, so anyway, I'll play in it. <laughs> yeah. The thing is I, I didn't make, I, knew I wanted to do a D&D campaign with a whole world. So I went in and just decided to create yeah. everything at once. 100%. However, um, I guess, it, so it didn't come out of necessity, but I had like, I had the capital name in mind. Yeah. I had this other town called Pluford in mind yeah. that I just made from something completely separate. 100%. And then I was like, oh, I have some of these elements. Yeah. So then I was like, well, let me really figure out um, what these other places could be. Yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting because you talk about pulling from other materials. So I ran, um, I ran another one shot that actually didn't take place in Eterna and it didn't have anything to do with the series of events that I'm running right now, which I'll talk about in a second, but, uh, it took place on a, on a, on a planet called Scath. Um, and I was like, okay, so I, I built out this planet and it's a small planet. It's only got two continents. Uh, uh, what like what is the purpose and i wanted to like find a way to connect it so what i did is i like i drew it in like a circular kind of circular style globe and i just ripped out a chunk and i said okay that's where eterna came from you know what i mean oh dang you know what i'm saying like okay so this was the planet where eterna came from the god came ripped it out of the planet so now this planet is missing like half of it like it's missing a quarter of mm. it, of its planet you know what i mean dang and they don't know what happened the people at the on the planet don't know what happened because none of them were alive when it happened you know oh right so like make wow. those find ways to make those connections you know um i did make it incredibly uh just more challenging for myself because now i've added such a deep lore to it so <laughs> i gotta like live up to that now yeah, yeah yeah you know what i mean but the story that i'm telling in eterna right like there there are crucial events that happen in its history and one of them it's called the fracture right talk about like there are four founding members of eterna they're the ones that just happen to find this place right so they claim themselves the founders and one of them wanted control of the whole thing right so um the other three founders were like we're not gonna let that happen that's crazy um so they went <laughs> and they trapped him right they trapped him in this like kind of like temporal envelope right where he couldn't get out um and with that, there were uh, there were eight keys. There were eight ruins that, um, if they were all activated, then he would be able to get out. Right? It was just a security protection. Right? So um, they coincided the 
the unlocking of these ruins to actual people that existed in the world. They said, you are, you are the guardian of this, uh, of this ruin. And through time, these people became corrupt. Um, so all the individual stories that I'm telling are stories of people facing one of these, one of these, uh, one of these gatekeepers. Oh, cool. You know what I'm saying? So like they take down the gatekeeper, that's another ruin gone. Right. And eventually they're going to get all eight and that dude's going to get out. And that's how the fracture starts. Dude. Yeah. Okay, so I want to use this as a segue if you're down yeah. um into how you how you craft the actual things that you play on because we've yeah. talked about a lot of world building. So yeah. far for those of you listening, if you don't play Dungeons and Dragons, you're like, what? Sorry, what? man, yeah. oh man, are you confused? You're like, I thought we lived on Earth. <laughs> oh, just, just read it. Just read the book and see what happens if you want to do it. But it's like literally take- just type in Dungeons and Dragons <laughs> anywhere. <laughs> You take you so you take yes. this vast galaxy, this universe, this yeah. world that you've created, but then you have to funnel it down essentially to this tabletop situation. It's a square, usually, yeah. right? You have to you have to provide you have especially if you're playing in person, you have to provide some type of content, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like a, it, obviously you could do theater of the mind for everything, which is just like everything just happens the way you explain it. it. Yeah. Right, it's just like theater of the mind. You can 100% do that and that'll be fine and that'll work. Um, or you can take it one step further and create content so that they can they can have these visual aids to see what you're seeing. Mm. Um, both, are, both are good. I am uh, incredibly persistent and I uh, get hyper fixations really quickly. So I went head first into just creating stuff, right? Mm. So it started with maps and I'm not a drawer at all. I've never been, um, but I just started looking up YouTube videos of like, how do you draw a map? And I just started doing it and I started creating these maps and I was like, you know, like these aren't the worst thing I've ever done. Like this is not bad. So then I created a you know, map for Eterna. Um, and then that kind of led into, you know, we're playing these games. We're sitting down at a table and we're playing. And, um, you know, part of the fun is theater of the mind. Part of, I, I, At one point I had bought a giant whiteboard. Um, so we were like marking our, you know, during combat and stuff, we were marking our characters with, you know, with uh, on this whiteboard. Um, and then I was like, oh, I'm gonna take it one step further. Like I wanna have some kind of mat that we could play on and have actual minis. So that led into me painting minis, you know, and like having those miniatures. And that led into me creating, you know, um, actual like battle mats for people to play on that depict different scenes, you know? Um, So it really like snowballed from just like this, you know, kind of fun, nerdy thing that I did to like, now I'm like, I'm fully invested. I'm fully invested (laughs) in it. super time consuming, You know, and it is. Um, (laughs) But the thing, but the thing is like. But it's time not wasted. No, absolutely not. Because, I mean, here's the thing. You work 40 hours a week and you come home and what do you do? Right? That's the question. What do you do? Uh, Some people, they watch television, read a book, play video games. Everybody has their way to de-stress. Everybody has their way to um, uh, kind of move away from that space of work. Because I love work. We talked, the first half of this podcast was me talking about work. So it's very clear (laughs) that I I enjoy working and I enjoy the profession that I'm in. But it's also important to have a hobby. You know what I mean? And honestly, it's kind of important that those two things don't, really mix a whole lot you can mix them a little bit but Mm. it's good to keep them separate um because i've had that experience where like my hobby became my work and then i fell out of love with it yeah (laughs) you know what i'm saying (laughs) you know and and that's that's hard 
that's really, really tough, you know? Um, so having something that is separate, that is mine, that is something that is uniquely me has been such an incredible thing for me. Mm. Um, and that includes crafting, That's right? amazing. Right, it includes writing, it includes creating in my mind, it but it includes crafting. I can come home and, you know, my wife is getting her PhD right now, so she's, you know, she's getting ready to start writing on her dissertation. So we have this time where, you know, she's doing her thing and I wanna support her by basically not getting in her way. Um, so, <laughs> uh, so I'm like, what do I do with my time? Well, I could sit there and I could watch television and I can consume content, which is totally fine. Um, but I found that like a really good catharsis for me is to create in any way possible, you know, and that includes crafting. That includes taking time and like, you know, sitting down with a foam board and cutting out each individual tile. And, you know, there's like, there's a weird catharsis to it that makes yeah. me feel relaxed, you know? Yeah. Well, we're, we're getting to near the hour mark. So I was going to say, you're talking about catharsis and how yeah. it makes you feel better. And you actually, we talked about before recording, using tabletop RPGs as yeah. a form of, uh, I know it's not clinical therapy right. for you necessarily. You wouldn't be implementing that, but it can be used as a therapeutic 100%. tool. 100%. A hundred percent. And the, the key thing I mentioned it earlier, right, is that like something can be therapeutic without it being therapy. Right. Therapeutic is just a term that just means that it is, you know, in and of itself, um, uh, a therapy like experience without it being therapy, if that makes sense. Yeah. Right. There's no clinician involved. You're not in the There's office. no, we're not in the clinical realm, right? We're not in the clinical realm. It can still be a therapeutic that you are, you are offering. Yeah. Um, so I know for me personally, it, it is a therapeutic, right? Um, in that, like, this is, this is my escape from, uh, you know, maybe an issue that I'm having. This is my escape from having to really like, think and worry about, you know, did I say the right thing today? Did I help the student? Did I do something wrong? You know? Um, so there are uh, clear ties between uh, uh, like role play therapy and the benefits that it has for patients, right? Like you can, you can look and it is, it, people write books on it, like it's a real thing. So what a lot of people are doing now are just taking it one step further, right? Going into tabletop role playing, right? A role playing game and using that as a catalyst to provide therapeutics to their patients, right? And again, that's the clinical realm, mm. but it's a thing that exists, it's a thing that happens, it's a thing that people are doing and, um, and has shown to have benefits, right? So if we take the clini the clinical part out of it and say, okay, we know that this can be beneficial to us. How can we how can we utilize it to help the people you know that either we work with or just help our friends, right? You know, so uh, we try to bring people in, like myself and you know some of my some of my colleagues who are my friends that we play with outside of work. We try to bring people in to like experience it and try it out and see if it's something that could be beneficial for them. At the very least, it offers us a form of escapism, right? Oh my God. God, yes. You know, and and of course, with escapism, there's a healthy amount of escapism. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but yeah. it, but it, it it provides us with a respite, you know, from the uh, from the chaos that is the world, right? Yeah. It, at the at the very foundation, it gives us that, right? Mm -hmm. But it also gives us an opportunity for me, like the characters that I create, the characters that I play with, um, typically incorporate things that I don't have. You know, qualities, uh, or maybe something, mm. maybe something that you want to have. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. I want. I, 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 and I don't. 
it wasn't until recently that I made this realization. I don't do this purposely, right? Mm. I just create the character. I'm like, oh, this is a cool character. But then I start thinking about that character and, and who they are. And it always ends up being an aspect of something that I want, right? That I want to get out of it. So you have an opportunity huh. then, right? Through playing a silly little game to essentially role play and test drive something that you want to do yourself. Yeah. Dude, that's crazy. <laughs> that's I'm cool. Play, I'm playing this uh, preacher. We're, we're yeah. doing like a Western style D and D thing. Oh, that's thing, so sick. But it's still using like all of the elements of D and D. So I'm 100%. playing a goblin yeah. who's a preacher of this religion that's pretty much Christianity, but not Christianity. Yeah. And but I'm playing him to be this really benevolent, like helps people. He he's a he's a cleric. Yeah. So I have a spell where I can create food and water on the spot. Yeah. And the first interact, like the DM put me, he d- he likes to do like little intro stories for each yes. person before we all come together. And in my first interaction with any, like with, with anything in the world, as I left this town to go on my bigger adventure, they were struggling with food and water. And I happened to just get that spell ready before the session. And I was yeah. like, I'm going to create food and water for this town. Yeah. And it's like, after I obviously I can't do that in real life, <laughs> but I was like I'm realizing that this character is somebody who, yeah. it's like an aspect that I want to nurture more, which is like just being kind. Which I mean I am kind, but what I mean is like just always being kind, taking to that being next level, helpful right? to people. That, right? We can't magically come up with food and water, but what we can do is provide ourselves in a number of ways to do something similar right right to say like i'm going to help you because it's the right thing to do right because doing that makes me feel good and it also benefits you you know what i'm saying right we're not doing it because we want to feel good about ourselves we're doing it because it's the right thing to do it's just the product of it makes us feel good you know what i'm saying Mm -hmm. um and that and that's the same thing for me like the character that i'm playing right now in the short form game that i'm playing um uh the big thing for them was they wanted to find purpose. And it, it, when I was creating the character, I didn't even realize that I was putting aspects of myself into this character. They wanted to find a purpose and they wanted to, um, and then they get purpose through this game, through working with the dungeon master, we gave him this purpose and now he has purpose and he's like, but is this really what I wanted in the first place? You know what I mean? So he's having these conversations and I didn't realize that when I made this character and he was just looking for purpose, when I first created this character, that's what I was looking for the whole time, right? I was like, this was at a point where I was like, am what is what I'm doing mattering? Is like, do I have that purpose in my life to push me forward and keep going? Hmm. Um, so I got through my character, not only was I able to take that step to address that and say like, oh, like this is something I have been thinking about. I should really think about this. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I also have that opportunity to be like, now my character has purpose, but is it the purpose that they wanted? That they already have an idea of what their purpose was, but they just needed someone to define it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So you get to ask those questions about yourself if you take the time to really sit and think about it. And you don't have to do that. You can, you can, you can play a, you know, a a silly, you know, a silly half elf, you know, a bard that just goes around and sings and, (laughs) and that's great. And that's awesome. But if you take the time and you say like, okay, I really want to like get something out of this experience and you take the time to, to, um, put a little bit of yourself into the character and then take something out of that. I think that you have an opportunity to grow, which is just incredible, which is just, just incredible. 
Dude, this was such a hopeful conversation. <laughs> Anthony, what the heck, man? Seriously, so I'm so positive. excited that, that this worked out. Yeah, me too. I mean, me it too. was so, and in, in I'm going to go ahead and use the word, but it feels serendipitous to me yeah. because a lot of the things you said today have not only impacted me, but it like directly applies to a lot of the thoughts I've been having recently. Yeah. You know, and I really appreciate the fact that I you are someone who like you said, after college, you just had to figure it out. It was trial by fire. Yeah. But it seems like now, everything that you've talked about so far, oh my God, man. I mean, you've got purpose. You've I've, got meaning and fulfillment. Yeah. You've got a wife. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. You know? I'm, I'm incredibly, incredibly blessed. And the reason why I was so excited to come on to this podcast is because hope for me is the backbone of my resiliency. It is It is the backbone of like, when I've been faced with adversity, when I have been in a place where I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. The only thing that has pushed me forward is the hope that it'll pass, that it'll get better, you know? And I use that hope. I I almost weaponize that hope to help push me forward, you know? So having that's an active hope right there, that's active hope, right? Yeah, yeah. So having the opportunity to come here and talk about these things that I'm passionate about, and we've talked about a lot of things that, you know, are problems that we need to address, but the underlining part of it and the thing that I've, I've really tried to hopefully been able to convey here is that there is hope to push. There is hope to be better, you know? Yeah. Um, so it's just like super powerful. So I was just so, uh, so fortunate that y'all allowed me to come on here and blabber for an hour. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I will say, I, while I agree with you that, you know, hope does all of those things, I think if it weren't for people like you, the hope wouldn't necessarily be there to the extent that it is, you know, truthfully, if it weren't for, you know, and I know you are, you're clearly a very altruistic person, so you're not going to be like, yeah, that was me. But it, truthfully, you have these innate qualities about you that those other D and D characters can fuck off with because <laughs> seriously that you are so it's like, I appreciate that. you got such a great, um, aura, aura. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, I was just, you've got these qualities that really make such a well-rounded person. Yeah. And truthfully, if I was some, if I was a student and, you know, incoming, like I was, you know, rewind five years, if I could have a life coach, ideally, I'd want it to be you or Kate. Love you, Kate. Yeah. <laughs> but no, yeah, but shout seriously, out to Kate. <laughs> shout out to Kate. But seriously, I mean, no, you, I appreciate. It. I really appreciate you. You that. are someone who almost yeah. lives by the fact that you have two ears and one mouth. Yeah, that really goes a long way, man. I, I appreciate that. I appreciate you saying that. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna receive it. I'm not good at taking it, but I'm gonna receive it. Thank and you. I appreciate. I appreciate. <laughs> no well, problem. we have one final question. Besides the things that you've talked about today. What's something that you do that changes the world around you on a regular basis? What a good question. I think that in a very, very small way, I am always curious. Let me explain. We have an opportunity. Because life is chaotic, life is can sometimes be bad, sometimes it's amazing, sometimes it's the greatest thing. We have an opportunity always to be curious. So I go out into my world 
and I always try to incorporate curiosity into what I do. It's why I'm able to have conversations, right? It's why I'm able to sit down with our students and have those conversations about stuff because I'm, I genuinely am curious to hear their thoughts, their opinions, their feelings. So if we take that, that idea of just being curious and put it in a macro scale, I live my life with curiosity. And because of that, I've been able to open the door to so many different opportunities. I've been so fortunate. Um, and I, I like to think that my curiosity um, has open, also opened the doors for other people um, by just having a conversation and talking more about it. For example, like this opportunity, right? It was, it was, it was the fact that I was curious, that I asked questions, and that I shared my interest in joining that I ended up here today. Yep. You know what I mean? Like you said, y'all didn't ask me. I asked you, right? That is called being genuinely curious, mm. right? And because I had that opportunity to sit here and have this conversation and be a part of this incredible project that y'all are doing, right? Um, we have that ability to change the world because I do think that podcasts like this the podcasts that actually talk about things with 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 substance are changing the world are changing people's viewpoints mm -hmm. um so i'd say the thing that i do isn't necessarily a tangible thing that you can grab and hold it is quite simply just going out and being genuinely curious awesome thank you so much for coming on today man <laughs> thank this you is all great. so much this has been such a pleasure i really really appreciate it Man, it's just so. I'm so excited. This is awesome. Thank you for coming on, dude. Thank for real. You. And while I we're recording, it. go ahead and give me a crisp high five. Yeah. Oh, me too. It's crisp. Oh, it's crisp. I hit the mic. Sorry. It's so crisp. Listen, everybody, <laughs> have a great day. Go, go try out some Dungeons and Dragons when you can. Let's go be somebody else for like five minutes. Yeah. Um, and for those of you listening, that was Anthony Curza. Hopefully, you found some hope today. Thanks for listening to the Only Constant. We show how people use their passions to change the world around them every day. To learn more about our mission, visit OnlyConstantPodcast.com. Make sure to follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at OnlyConstantPodcast to see even more and stay updated with the show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, Amazon Music, or Spotify, leaving a review or rating for the podcast helps us learn what's working and what's not. We value your feedback. Hopefully, you found some hope today.